Um, I'm going to tell you a lame joke. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Uh, the material for this month, a uh, week, came fairly easily, but I've struggled to find a good way in. So here is a bad way in, if you'll forgive me. Uh, in school, did you ever used to argue about, like, whose dad or, like, is like bigger and better. Did any of you ever do that? Sort of, like my dad's bigger than your dad, that kind of thing, right? So, uh, there are three boys. Actually, yeah, can I just say, there's, there's a laughter in the middle. Hugh, can you stand up for a second? Yeah, not him. Uh, <laughs> but, bigger as a man of God. We love you, Hugh. Um, but anyway, three boys stood in the uh, playground arguing about whose dad was bigger and better. Uh, and one boy said, my dad scribbles down some words on a page calls it a poem and they pay him 50 pounds the second boy goes my dad's better than your dad my dad's bigger than your dad my dad scribbles down words on a page he calls it a song gets paid a hundred pounds third boy goes boys that's nothing my dad scribbles down words on a page calls it a sermon and it takes six people to collect up all the money (laughs) now some of you are going i don't understand it in cornerstone we don't pass a basket around uh, but in some churches they do. Um, there you go. They got half people laughing. Um, today, today we're talking about the idea of bigger and better, Daniel. If we can, um, and if you could once again just turn to your neighbour and say bigger and better, uh, it might help you to remember bigger and better. Um, I'm here to tell you today that whatever you think about God, God is bigger and better than you think. That, that even if you could grasp it, then there'll be something bigger and better. Like, like our God is bigger and better, and this chapter helps us to see that God is bigger and better. A bit like those three boys, my dad's bigger than your dad. Like, I can't tell you enough that I could speak for a thousand years. Some of you have gone, yeah, you do it every week. But like, I could speak for a thousand years and not get close. I could use the best words in the world. I could not get close. Our God is bigger and better. I want to encourage you about that. I want to encourage you today as well that our story is bigger and better. The story of God is bigger and better than you could ever imagine. I want to encourage you that our salvation, the way God saves us, is bigger and better than you even think. We're going to try and do that today. So bigger and better today is what we're going to go for. Um, Hopefully you've got a Bible open. We're going to get you to do some work. Okay, Uh, Young people especially, I'd love you to do that. Help each other out here if you guys can include them in as well. Uh, Dan, uh, first slide. A bigger saviour. A bigger saviour. What I want you to do is just to look at uh, verses 2 to 6, where David, uh, for the first time in his life in one sense, uh, begins to look at who God is um, rather than who he is. How would this be life-changing if this was the way that you saw God? What I mean by that is that David writes, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, which means uh, a sign of strength. That There were two ways horns were used, a bit like animal horns, kind of fighting off enemies, but also horns that you used to drink from, a sense of like blessing and fullness. But in this case, a place of strength, the horn of my salvation. Here's my stronghold, my refuge and my savior from violent people you save me. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and have been saved from my enemies. The waves of death swirled around me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave called around me. The snares of death confronted me. If you believe that with all your heart, like David does here, if that had like logged into your head, how would that be life-changing? Okay, be specific. For you personally, how would that be life-changing? How has it been life-changing? Some of us are sort of beginning to glimpse it. But have a little chat together. How would that be life-changing if you had that sense of a bigger, 
bigger, better saviour that David's got here? How would that be life-changing in the things that you encounter? Have a little chat. If you don't know, feel free just to listen to others. Um, But have a little chat together. Um, How would that be life-changing? If you saw God in the same way that David does here, how would that be life-changing? Be specific, be general. You've got just a couple of minutes. Okay, okay. Okay, let's just hear some thoughts. That's cool. Uh, part of the reason that Cornerstone we teach like this is that if we can get us talking about God's stuff in here, we might feel more comfortable doing outside. Uh, also, it's good that we learn more when we think it up ourselves. Um, but yeah, any thoughts? How would this be life-changing? How would this be life-changing? If this is the way you saw God, bigger and better, how would it be life-changing? How could it be life-changing? Yeah, Stella. Okay. I love that. I love that. The word destiny. There's a sense that, that God is in charge of my destiny, that I'm safe and secure in that, that I can apply that to my worries, my fears about the future. Um, talks us all about death and you know, destruction. And I love that. There's a sense of that in my worry, I can say, God, actually, you've got my destiny in hand. You, you are the one over the whole world. You're bigger and better than that. And that could be a real help. Yeah, I love that. Anyone else? How else could it? Yeah, yeah, Joseph. love that so there's a sense of it 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 turns our eyes towards gratitude again i'm I'm not alone you're with me you've done this you're powerful you're mighty a a sense of you know in some of the tough stuff being able to lift our eyes but love that anyone else anything else these are all good i'm not waiting for the right answer these are these are all good yeah steve So a sense of it helps us to have um, a, a right focus. It helps us to have um, a, a, an ability to look at life and say, this is where my security uh, is. Let's just really quickly run through them, okay? And I want to just to, um, uh, get you to think about this. So what is my rock? When he says the Lord is my rock, what, what does that mean? What does that mean? The Lord is my rock. What does that mean? Foundation, okay? So some of us might feel a bit like our life hasn't got much of a foundation or it's a very shifting foundation. Uh, you, you might have put your foundation on someone or something, and maybe that someone or something changes, and then you lose everything. Uh, or you feel suddenly that everything's changed in shape. Some of you might, might know that. The, the, the joy of having God as my rock is it's a firm foundation. And what was lovely, actually, before the service, without the guys knowing, when we were praying, the word rock was used. A couple of people praying in a sense of wanting to encourage some of you today. Look, your foundations are, are sandy. You either let sand blow in or maybe you've, you've shifted from where you are. I encourage you. That foundation saying, God, you are the foundation to my life, the foundation to the way I see myself, the way I see the world. Uh, second one, just really quickly, my fortress. What's that about? What's that? Protection. Signs of trouble. My foundation, my, uh, my fortress, sorry, is Krispy Kreme donuts. Uh, when I've had a bad day, tough meeting, SO Garage, Krispy Kreme donut, Bosch. That's my fortress. Good fortress. Lots of you are shaking your heads going, boo. Terrible choice of donut. 
No, no, it's, it's a terrible choice of fortress. Others of us have used other things to be our fortress. Does that make sense? And yet God's the one we say, God, protect me in this, protect me in this. My deliverer, what's that? What's a deliverer? A rescuer. Yeah. There's some of us are just still trying to claw ourselves out of something which only God can free us from. I just want to encourage you that this is, this is God who's bigger and better. Some of your fingers are bleeding from trying so hard. I want to encourage you, God's a deliverer. Then he repeats it, my God is my rock in whom I take refuge. God's my shield. What might that be? What might that be? Defense? Yeah. I know I keep talking about it, but, but young people especially, but I think adults as well. Where you are, I think, in lots of ways, open to attack. People that are critical, people that um, uh, are wanting to sort of feel powerful by making you feel weak. Knowing who God says you are is the ultimate shield. I think a lot of us go through life going, it'd be better if they could stop, if they would stop, if they would stop. And we might hope and pray for that. But, but actually knowing who we are can give us a real strength. You know, um, there's one thing I do which is called starve the monster if you've got someone who is cruel to you. Rather than reacting and giving them what they want, all you do is go, oh, it's irrelevant to me, it's boring. I know who I am. And I promise you they'll get bored after a while. But they're looking for some kind of reaction. But it's hard, it's hard, those things. Desperate for the word of God. Look at that. From a young age. I love it. Um, the horn of my salvation to go on the attack with. Uh, here's my stronghold, my refuge, uh, my savior from violent people. I love it. And so I want to encourage you, if your life and you know would be better if you can grasp that, grasp that. This is who God is. This is who God is. I, I worry sometimes that all we reduce God down to is someone who forgives. And he does. And I know this is a theme I've said the last few times. The good news of the gospel is that God does all of this. That he shields us and redeems us and loves us and restores us and gives us a foundation and our identity. And he's for us and fighting for us and giving us destiny. Like, if we reduce the gospel down to he thinks you're bad, we're not doing the full service of the gospel. Repentance is important. Please hear me right. But I love that David knows this this glorious four-dimensional God. And it's good news. And it's good news. Does that make sense? Cool. Uh, Secondly, really quickly, you guys are doing really well. We're part of a bigger story. Okay, now this is a tricky question, and, and especially for some of you maybe didn't grow up in church, we're thrilled you're here. Um, some of you have grown up in church, and we're thrilled you're here, because it can be hard work sometimes, right? But David tells this story in sort of verses 7 to 20 about all these things that have happened to him. Okay, but I want to actually ask the question, whose story is it really? And what I mean by that is there are some events in this that might give us a little sense of, this reminds me of another Bible story. Okay, that's my little clue. I also gave a clue early in the service because I'm sneaky like that. But whose story is David telling, okay? So have a look at some of the things he talks about, okay? Being in trouble, crying out, those kind of things. Whose story is it? Now, if you don't know this one, this is one of those more frustrating questions where you're like, I don't know. It's a bit like when you watch a quiz show and you're like, I just don't know that. Um, like when I went on Tipping Point and lost. Uh, I didn't know. Um, uh, but I want to encourage you, whose story is it? Have a little chat together. Don't worry if you don't know, we're going to get there together. But whose story is it? Okay, It has some things that remind us a little bit of something else. Okay, We read it initially and it seems like David's story. But whose story is it? Have a little chat. Have a little chat. Another Bible story. It's gone quiet. I'll take that as a sign. So, okay. 
Any guesses whose story is it? We have a few. I'm going to Jess Bancroft at the back. Jess Bancroft at the back. Whose story is this? Jesus' story. Interesting. Go on. Okay, interesting. Interesting, interesting, okay. I, I like that. We'll, we'll get on to that. Um, whose story is it? Okay, uh, we're going to go Joseph. You echo the story of Jesus as well? Now, is it because I've asked a question in church? Someone's going, the answer is Jesus. Uh, big on. Okay. Okay, interesting. So, Jesus, Daniel, Moses. Okay, okay, we're getting there. Uh, coming over here. You said Moses. Oh, that's just cheating, isn't it? Ooh, some of you are going, ooh. Some of you are going, what? <laughs> mate, mate, no, but good. So story, story of Moses. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Any advance on Moses? We've had Moses, Daniel, Jesus. Anyone else? Liz. You also think Jesus? Darkness in the clouds. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Steve. <laughs> okay, we're just covering the whole Bible now. Yeah. The rev- no, no, no. I'm loving it though. A sense of Jesus coming back. Okay. Um, let me, let me, and, and they're all really helpful. This is the story of Israel being set free from Egypt through Moses, through the prophets. Uh, you get lightning and thunder, like the Ten Commandments being given. You know. It's also the story of Jesus, because the really amazing bit about Easter is that Jesus enters into the story of Israel. So when he's sort of baptized, it's like going through the waters. When he uh, heals and restores and feeds the 5,000, it's like them in the desert. So no wonder it looks a bit like Jesus, because Jesus comes and inhabits that story as well. It's also David's story. He was chased and broken and and bruised. How remarkable is that? That we're part of a bigger story. And that our story is included, but we're part of a bigger story. How remarkable is that? How encouraging would it be on those days where it feels like God's far away to know that, like David, we can say, God, you moved history. You moved nations. You did miracles you're in charge of this. How remarkable is that? A bigger and better story of God that David glimpses here. Just if you're a bit of a Bible nerd as well, just really quickly, this is a direct copy of Psalm 18. It's kind of, he's, it's another song, um, which is interesting. And I want to encourage some of you who are going through it at the moment, just know you're part of a bigger story. Know that, know that your story is not yet fully written. Uh, let's get there towards the end. Here we go. Right, then David ruins it. Are you ready? <laughs> Okay, David ruins it. Uh, We always want to make sure you know that David's flawed in lots of ways. Uh, David, adulterer, murderer, idolater, says this. Ready? The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. 
His laws are always before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. Some of you are going, no. (laughs) When we started this series, some of us might have gone, yeah, because we got brought up with David the hero. But this series has told us he's not. Final question today. How can David say this? This is, and just in case you're new to us, uh, this is after, uh, towards the end of his life, at least this bit. How can he say this? There are some options. Some commentators give us some options. Uh, I'm not going to give you very long because we're going to come to one of those. But how could David say this when he's done all the stuff that he's done? When he's done all the wrong that he's done? How could David say this? Have a little quick chat, really quickly. A little quick chat, just for you. Okay, okay, aware of time today, here we go. So, how can he say this? How can he say this? Matt Horwood at the back, how could he say this? Okay. Okay. So it's, he, just, he just knows the full forgiveness of God, and, and you're right that he's one of the few people, and we're going to look at that in a minute, um, who gets that right. That's a great answer, great answer. Any other choices Okay. Okay, so it's interesting. So you're saying that actually this line includes a line that says he remembers when his righteousness was not up to scratch, that God also dealt with him in that and that God was fair in that. And what the big thing we keep reminding you about is with David, although David lost his own son, that was what a, a response with us now. God gives his own son. So that kind of thing doesn't happen anymore. But, but yeah, no, powerful. Thank you. Um, so you guys are too smart today. Some people said that he wrote this before he did anything bad. Not sure about that. <laughs> it, is a, it is an earlier psalm. It's like, little did he know. <laughs> um, no. Uh, some people say he, he literally thought this about himself. But then that kind of slightly defeats the purpose of this amazing chapter where it's all about who God is. Uh, let me just give you a, a quick glimpse. And it just is a quick turn. Um, how do we know? Uh, Daniel, just flick this one on. Um, two things. Number one, verse 20 in our passage says, um, God delighted in David, and David was a man after God's own heart. David was a man after God's own heart. We must remember that's about the place that David had in the heart of God, as in he's loved by God, not the place that God had in the heart of David. God's love for him was why he loved him. It wasn't dependent on what he did. We find it so easy to allow us, self-righteousness, to creep back in. The gospel of God is bigger and better. It does not depend on you. And thank God it does not depend on you. We respond to what God's done. We, we live lives of love and goodness in a response to what God's done. But it doesn't make it happen. It's a, it's a legalism. It's a tiring way of doing faith if you think that you have to behave so that God loves you. God loves you. So live like it. Does that make sense? Secondly, really quickly, in, in, in Psalm 51, uh, go on, one more. Um, keep going. Uh, keep going. In Psalm 51, David has written this after he's failed. Just, it's, it's an unbelievable prayer of confession. And, and if any of you are struggling uh, confessing, I want to encourage you, Psalm 51. He writes this after messing up with Bathsheba, you know, dominating and, and, and causing her to become pregnant, doing murder. He writes, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, block out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 
I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, I shall be clean. Wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart. I could go on. I love that David gets that the gospel is bigger and better than he thought. Everyone else was telling him it depends on him. But David's one of the few people in the Old Testament who knew it was entirely about God and his faithfulness and his forgiveness. And he gets it. And so he can literally say, God, you treat me according to your righteousness, my righteousness, because of yours. He can literally say that. That's how much faith he has, that when God says it, he means it. My prayer for you as a church, that we would know that when God says it, he means it. How many of us are still struggling, struggling to think, I'm not good enough, I'm not loved enough, I'm not there yet. When he says it, he means it. So really quickly, how do we know as we come towards Easter, this last slide, Daniel? Thank you. Uh, Alistair Begg, who's a preacher in America, not a fan of all of his stuff, but uh, he does a bit called The Man in the Middle Cross Told Me to, I Can Come. This is the, the um, uh, three crosses, and the criminals either side of, of Jesus, right? And they're mocking him to start with. And then one of them just says to Jesus, remember me when you come to paradise. And Alistair Begg says he would love when he gets to heaven to kind of go and chat to the thief that was allowed in at the last minute. Uh, and he sort of watches him as he approaches the gate. And he's like, you know, watching. And this angel comes. And this kind of thief kind of ambles in, looking a bit lost. This was a bit of a surprise for him. And the angel's like, um, hello, welcome to heaven. You know, what, what are you doing here? And the guy's like, I don't know. And he's like, no, what do you mean you don't know? He goes, I don't know. I was next to this guy, Jesus, mocking him. And then I realized at one point that maybe I shouldn't be mocking him. I said, Jesus, remember me. And here I am, I've got no clue. And the angel's like, whoa, this is weird. Never had this before. You don't even know why you're here. He goes, yeah, I don't know. And he goes, oh, wait, I'll go and get my supervisor, Angel. So he goes off. <laughs> supervisor, Angel, comes back and goes, um, hello, I believe there's a bit of a problem. Everyone else who's here is far more able to articulate why they're here. Why are you here? He goes, I don't know. I was on a cross, I was mocking him, and then I sort of realized at one point that I shouldn't mock him, that there was something different about him, and I said, just remember me, and here I am. And, and the supervisor, Angel, goes, but do you know about the doctrine of you know, justification by faith through grace alone? He goes, No. Never heard of it. And he goes, well, what about like the doctrine of, you know, scripture? And do you know about that? He goes, no, I don't know. And he goes, well, why are you here? And the thief says, the man on the middle cross told me I can come. The man on the middle cross told me I can come. That's it. A bigger and better gospel. And that, that might not be everyone's story and it might be extraordinary, but that is the gospel that God is looking to save. Longing to save. And we go to be with God simply because the man on the middle cross says, come. Come and follow me. That is good news. It's good news for the tired. It's good news for the failing. It's good news for the broken. It's good news for the hurting. Come. The middle man on the cross says you can come. And he's done it. He's done it for you. He's done it for you. And it doesn't mean that your life is irrelevant. It matters. How you love and live matters. But come because the man on the middle cross tells you to come. That's a bigger, better gospel. It's a gospel you can share. Come. He wants you. We're going to respond to God in worship and praise. Uh, thanks for listening today. Um, let me just pray and give you just a moment to be still before we start. Um, 
I want to just encourage you, just in the quiet, what's God saying to you? We've covered a lot today, lots of different things. Is it that you need to remind yourself, a bit like David did at the start, who God is? He's your shield, your foundation, your rock. Is it that you need to remind yourself you're part of a bigger story? Remind yourself that you're part of a bigger story. Your story's not finished yet. Sorry, mate. Is it that you need to remember this gospel is big and glorious and includes the man uh, who just said, remember me? And how unfair that seems. But let's just be still and quiet for a moment, and then in a few moments, Nick will lead us. Lord God, just now we pray through your spirit, you'd speak to us. If there are things we need to lock in or learn or do, uh, if there are things we need to confess, things we need to ask you for, Lord, in the moment now, just through your spirit, prompt us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.